Hey y'all, today's guest is Ryan from No Bragging Rights. We talk about how he started uh, playing music, how he joined No Bragging Rights. We talk about the effects of the pandemic on uh, people in the industry, like just guitar techs, um, musicians, just everyone. And there's a Pantera story. So I hope you really enjoy it. Thank you for the support. Here's our interview. Thank you so much for uh, just giving me some time to to talk to you. I'm super stoked. Yeah, of course. Yeah, well, uh, let's just get started. Um, when did you know that music was going to be a part of your life? Probably, I don't know, since I was a little kid. Like, I loved music, so, like, I even remember, like, five years old, like, being super into music and just stoked on it, so... I just, I don't know, I pursued it ever since I was a kid. I never had any really other, like, dreams or ambitions, so. <laughs> uh, were there any, like, uh, bands that that you can remember that just really, like, got your attention like when you were a kid? I mean, I mean, this is going to sound, this is going to date me really <laughs> badly in my age, but... And also my liking of music at the time, and even still now, but like corn really got me into music. Like that really like solidified that I wanted to play music. I don't know. It was like heavy music once I found that because like my mom always listened to music. So it was like Journey, um, Santana, like kind of that whole range of like, I don't know, like rock bands and like Woodstocky kind of bands. And then there was always like the radio on. And then, I mean, if you really want to talk like just straight love of music, like Michael Jackson and the Jackson five straight up, like Jackson five, like amazing. Even like you look back at it now and like as a bass player, you go back and you listen to some of that stuff and you're like, how? It's just so in the pocket and just like has like fills that you're just like, I I don't even get it. Yeah, I I feel the same way, man. Trying to even learn like those old tunes is is so hard. <laughs> yeah, well, like that Mot- that Motown era people. Like, I mean, it was generally the same like session dudes that would write everything, but they're just so extremely talented. Yeah, uh, James Jamerson, I know, probably be one of the most like famous guys from that time. Um, yeah. Uh, so when did you uh, want to like pick up an instrument? Um, I wanted to pick up an instrument a lot sooner than I could. Um, so like my mom, I mean, I wanted to be a drummer, but drums don't have a volume knob. So of course, <laughs> parents are like, mm, nah. like my mom was like, absolutely not. So there was um, a teacher in my elementary school that played guitar. And it just like, it caught me. So my mom eventually got me an acoustic guitar. She was like, we'll see if this goes anywhere. It didn't really go anywhere because I couldn't grasp it because I'm left-handed. So I was trying to play a guitar like this when for me, it needs to be like this. So I just, I slowly, like, I kind of got out of that and like kind of phased out. And then eventually I got a guitar when I was 15 and then just, it's kind of gone from there. Yeah, that's that's pretty wild. Um, so, like, I mean, I'm assuming that you're just primarily left-handed in general, right? Like, uh, uh, 
<laughs> Oddly, I'm not. Okay. Um, I write left-handed. I play left-handed, but I do a ton of stuff with my right hand because I just had to adapt. Um, so, like, what's really funny is I don't golf, but I play, like, I, like, hit golf balls and stuff, and I do all of that right-handed. I played, like, street hockey when I was younger. I did that right-handed. So none of it made, like, none of it makes sense to me in, in that aspect. Like, my fingers just don't move. Like, even I've tried over and over, and I can make, like, a power chord on a guitar, and that's about it. Yeah. Uh, well, the, so the reason I was asking was just like to see if, if you knew at the time when you started playing guitar, if you had to play like a left-handed guitar. I did. I didn't. I didn't know that. Like, I just. I didn't know that there was n- another way to play. I just saw people play a certain way. So it's like I assume this is the only kind of guitar they make. Which I mean, even still, it's super limited yeah. <laughs> even now. But. Yeah, for, for sure. Uh, so when you started playing guitar, like, what was some of the, uh, like, the songs that you were learning that you first learned? I mean, straight up, first song I ever tried to learn was Blind by Corn, And I played it terribly wrong. <laughs> like, knowing it, like, knowing how it's supposed to be played now, like, I played it terribly wrong. <laughs> I probably still would play it wrong. But... <laughs> That was one of the first songs and then it was kind of like the cliche like i'm gonna learn smoke on the water or iron man because those are like the easiest songs <laughs> ever to play they're just like literally power chords um so just kind of i slowly just like progressed like just learning songs and then i fell into tabs online and it was like this is how i'm gonna learn yeah uh f- i mean for me tabs is like a game changer it was pretty self-explanatory, and like I played a basket case on tabs, and well, it was over once I had learned basket case. It's like I could play yeah. anything. <laughs> like I could shred any song now that I know basket case. Yeah. Um, when did you start uh, getting involved in like a uh, local bands or starting or joining bands? I so I grew up in a really small town in California called Blythe, California. So there wasn't there wasn't too many options. There was literally like three bands that existed in that whole entire town. So I started playing guitar and I convinced my best friend to start playing bass. And he, he's honestly, he was definitely the best musician I had played with. And I mean, even now, like he was in like school band. So like him playing bass, like he picked it up so easily because he already had the ear for it. And so I kind of just formed a band and then we found a drummer who was, I mean, mediocre at best, definitely thinking back on it. It's like, that was rough, but uh, it was like shortly after I picked up guitar, to be honest, like probably like 16. So like a year after playing and then played and made my own band. That was a very terrible, like first band, like anybody, I think. And then very like new metal sounding. So yeah, like 15 and a half, 16. Like I just wanted to jump to being in a band. I didn't want to learn all the fundamentals along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. First band was definitely just a crappy 
new metal open in ones throw in like eight seven once in a while um yeah i feel that uh, so when did uh when did you start or when did you switch to bass i switched to bass in my 20s honestly um i just i had moved to the inland empire and I was playing guitar. I played guitar in a band out there. And then bands needed more bass players than guitar players. And I've never, I never was that great of a guitar player. Um, And then I kind of, I mean, it's kind of like the most cliche thing in the sense of the guitar player that's okay goes over to bass. And they're a little bit better at bass than they are guitar. (laughs) Um, So like in, in my like early twenties, I had switched over and joined a band and just, I had literally went out and I bought a bass, a bass head and a cab like right away. Dang. What did, what did you end up getting? Do you remember? Uh, I, I still, I don't even know where the bass is. I want to say it's in Washington (laughs) with one of my friends, but I got a Mexi Bender jazz bass. It was like a natural finish. It was the coolest thing, at least at that time. I was like, oh, this is cool. Jazz bass. And now I honestly am not a big fan of them. But um and then I switched and then I then I got to a Ampeg SVT three pro, which was I mean it, I still think that that was one of the coolest sounding heads I've ever owned because it had the two threes in it and it just kind of made it a little bit warmer. Mm-hmm. And then I bought an Ampeg six by 10 cab. Nice. I like the six by 10 still uh, just a little less <laughs> lugging around or you still lugging it around, but not as big as those eight by tens. Yeah. It's a little less, but I just feel like, the low end of them is just not as like umphy as like an 810 or an Ampeg 410. It's like LH or something like that. It has like three um, like air holes at the bottom essentially. And it just got so much. I bought one randomly. It got so much low end out of it. Like I'd never like had something compared to an 810 besides that. I, I didn't even know that's what like that's how it worked or or what those holes were there for. I've seen them before. I don't even I don't even know if that's what it was. Like it was just something. Like I bought a bunch of random gear mm-hmm. in my time, and it's like random things that sound really amazing, and that was one of them. And I regret that I sold it. Yeah, I, nothing has sounded like that. And I've played other ones. Yeah, it was just that. That was like the one. And then yeah. I think it happens to all of us, man. Um, so w- when did you start uh, getting involved in like um, touring bands or, or start like touring, stuff like that? Um, I got involved in a touring band um, right after I played bass in like a local-ish band for a while. And... Then a band I knew at the time 
lot, their bass player didn't want to tour anymore. And I got a call. It was like, Hey, you want to come play bass for us? I was like, sure. So I went on my first tour, basically like it was 2000, 2008, I want to say. And then it was just like from there on, like, I mean, I did my first tour and I was, I was hooked. Like that was the only, only thing for me. Cause I dreamed of doing it. So it was like, sleeping in a van and then we had an obnoxious size trailer that was literally like the size of a car like you park a car in it and that was really like my first time driving a van and trailer so it was obnoxious <laughs> uh damn so, so i was looking at your uh kind of like where you've worked and i've seen you've been a guitar tech for like several like notable bands like how how'd you get involved um like in being a guitar bass tech um Honestly, from touring with NBR, like I kind of, I dabbled in like, I mean, of course, when you're in a, I guess, DIY kind of band, we didn't have money for a tech, nor I don't think we ever would have taken one at any point until it, if it ever got like that big in a need. Mm-hmm. But I kind of got into it because our guitar player, Daniel, knew a like a ton about guitars and he was doing like side work when we weren't on tour and then I kind of started learning from watching him and then I started watching YouTube and then got into it and then when NBR stopped touring I decided that I wanted to do something so I started trying to tech and just kind of it kind of all fell in place after a while like I wasn't intending I just wanted to stay on tour. Like it was just something about it. Like that has kept me going through all these years. So I wanted to stay on tour and I found a way and it's just, it worked out. It's just all like networking and knowing, like having friends that would recommend me along the way. So just, it kind of, I don't know. It was like the perfect storm, I guess, of like things that all kind kind of came together and just worked out amazingly. Yeah, man, uh, that that's badass. Um, do you have any advice for someone who might be like interested in trying to get involved with being like a tech or or going on the road with the band? Learning, like you need to like, of course, you need to learn like the profession of whatever you want to do. Be it like, if somebody wants to do like front of house or something like that, find a local venue that will maybe i mean not in these times you can't find a venue because everything is closed um but uh like find somebody basically a place willing to teach you and then like as far as like guitar techs and drum techs like you're already you're generally already involved in your instrument so start learning how to work on your instrument and then even offer like you might have friends that are playing like bigger shows or whatever, and you can tech for them like those bigger shows. And it's just all about like the biggest thing is like networking. Like you can meet like whoever, like it's honestly very easy. Most like I'm at least me when I'm working, like if somebody asked me about like guitar teching or whatever, like if they notice like, oh, that's the tech and they like ask me questions or whatever, I'm very receptive and I'm always, I'm willing to give advice about 
like how to get into that. And it's like even working at your local venue. Like there's so many stories of people that like get literally get jobs on tour because somebody from like <clears throat> the touring crew sees like their hard work ethic and they're like, Hey, we need somebody like you. Do you want to come on tour? And it's not guaranteed it's going to happen, but it can. Like, it's just biggest thing is have like learning and then having like a good work, work ethic because it's, a very very demanding job but it's very rewarding all at the same time i think that's great advice uh thanks for that do you have any um like any crazy stories like uh just being a tech being on the road um i have <clears throat> when you just say crazy stories <laughs> i have one really funny story involving phil from pantera <clears throat> um so on one, just on, I was a driver for bands for a while. So I drove bandwagons, which if nobody knows what a bandwagon is, they're basically like those big black RV things you see, like that bands tour and that look like tour buses, but they're not quite not, or they're not quite a tour bus. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was driving one for this band Crowbar. Okay. Um, and Kirk was in down with Phil and also had done crowbar had done tours with like pantera so i got to hear i love pantera so i got to hear a bunch of cool like dime bag stories which were amazing like to hear that but on that tour we were playing in they were playing in san antonio and i just woke up to start driving and i get out and i'm just out smoking a cigarette and i see a dude like kind of stumbling down the street and as he gets closer, I'm like, holy shit, that's fucking, that's Phil from Pantera. And he like looks at me and he's like, yeah, man. And goes in for a high five, but he goes in for the high five and locks hands with me. Like he's holding my hand and like squeezes my hand. And I was just like, what just happened? (laughs) And then like, after that, I was just like, that was cool, but that was weird. (laughs) Uh, I've had a lot of I mean, even with like NBR, like I don't, I don't care what you believe, but we literally chased an unidentified flying object <laughs> for about two hours. We left a show in Lubbock and there's five other people to attest to this happening, but we literally followed a UFO for two hours. That was wild. Yeah, that's, that sounds real wild. <laughs> Uh, man, this is speaking of MBR, how, how'd you get involved uh, with no bragging rights? Um, I, I mean, when I lived out in the empire, like our scene was big, but small all at the same time. So, and I mean, they, before I joined the band, they were definitely, I mean, they were a very popular band, especially in our area. And I occasionally like talk to Martin every now and then, like I'd run into him wherever. And I occasionally like would talk to other people in the band. And then I had got word from our friend Ryan that uh, Rick, their bass player at the time had left the band. They were looking for a bass player. So he put in a word 
to them about me. And I think Martin hit me up and just, they had me start learning songs and I would literally just, I'd go to work, I'd come home and I would just learn songs and send them like videos with dubbed over like audio of what I tracked in GarageBand because I didn't know how to simultaneously track everything. Yeah. So I was like, Hey, I can visibly play this and I can, you can hear that I can audibly play it. And then I just kept learning songs and learning songs, learning songs until they were like, Hey, do you want to, do you want to like try out for us and come on tour? And that was basically it. Like it was just, it was just being persistent. Yeah. Like just wanting to learn, learn songs and go back on tour and be a part of a band that was doing really well. Like it was, it was definitely a wild, wild time. Yeah, man. Um, I'm, I'm like a super, super big fan. Like, um, I know when y'all came to San Antonio, we went and had a uh, Mexican food before like before one of the gigs. Yes, <laughs> yeah, man, that was that was fun. Um, my friend Bobby too. Like we still keep in touch with Mike, and I got you guys on Facebook and stuff. Um, but uh, for the writing process for No Bragging Rights, like how involved were you with the writing process? Um. So basically, with with the band, how the writing process goes is Daniel is 100% the, the writer. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even every time, like when we did Concrete Flower, I know it's cycles. When we did that, it was just Martin and Daniel like chipping away every single day. It felt like at songs. And then I was living in San Diego, so I would come come up and I would learn the songs and kind of like write my parts, but I was never really involved in writing. Mm. And then when we moved to like Concrete Flower, Daniel started, and this is the most wildest way to demo songs. And they, they actually sounded pretty decent, but he had GarageBand on his phone. <laughs> so he would record the guitar parts, I believe to a click that he was listening to in one, one earbud he would take, I think, the other earbud and dangle it in front of his cab <clears throat> and then track the guitar parts and then tediously on his phone program all the drums. And oddly, Daniel can program drums that sound really good on a phone and also, like, because he's played with Martin for so long, like, he knows what Martin would play. So it's always just, like, almost on point and then it's like, even with that, I would, he would send me the, send all of us the demos. And then I'd kind of like learn them as best as I could. And then I'd go to practice and we'd like hash through the songs, but I was never like totally involved in the writing process. I'd give my creative opinion. I'd write my own parts. And I would also, I was very closed minded, but I would try to be open because I mean, I was around a bunch of really good musicians, like, Daniel definitely helped with a lot of like a lot of cooler, I would say cooler parts that were written on some songs, like were all Daniel. Like, 
And he would honestly, he'd play my bass upside down and track the parts, <laughs> which I thought was wild. Cause it was like, I don't know how you did that, but you did it. And it sounds really good. But like Daniel is 100% the mastermind behind like the sound of the band. I mean, if you listen to consequence of dreams, that's kind of where it started. And then Daniel's just progressed and progressed and progressed. Like, and then, I mean, <clears throat> it was really funny. I remember how we demoed songs with concrete flower. Um, Mike, which we would practice in uh, our guitar player, Christian's garage. Mm -hmm. And Mike would stand on the other side of the door with his phone to the door and he would knock two times and then we would start playing the song. Yeah, that's, that's so badass to hear. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, we just did like very like primitive ways of like demoing and it, it, it worked. Yeah, yeah, those uh, albums sound amazing. Concrete Flower sounds amazing. So that That's crazy. That's a, something like I would have never thought of. Um, yeah, Concrete Flower was like a super, I think a super proud moment for all of us because, I mean, we did it with Will Putney, which was really cool, and he wanted to work with us, which was even cooler because Will's like, as far as like metal and metalcore and hardcore bands and all that stuff, like, we didn't even say metalcore, metal and like hardcore bands. And like he has done some of the coolest records and able to work with him. And then uh, also Randy that was at his studio and Tom who was an intern who now plays guitar for the Acacia strain. Damn. So like <laughs> all those dudes, like they really, like everybody really shaped that record because Randy is a psychopath in the best way possible. Like he, his music, like knowledge and theory and everything is just insanity. And him and Daniel together was just like the most, like you'd sit there. I just sit there and just be like this and just watch. And I was like, this is wild. Cause they just like, meshed and just that's why like guitar wise on that record it just sounds insane and like i think we all really pushed ourselves on that record like as far as like sounding the the best we could and i mean it i don't know it was just an amazing and process and accomplishment um was that the first time that you were in like a a I don't know, like a bigger studio or just like a, like a real deal studio? No, we did cycles at a Lambesis studio in San okay. Diego. Or in, yeah, San Diego-ish, Escondido um, with Daniel Castleman. And, and I mean, that was really cool. Like that was, I mean, that's a very real studio. Um, but doing it at Machine Shop, well, it was Machine Shop at the time. Um, was that was cool because a lot like a lot of bands like i mean even like because machine the owner of machine shop um mm -hmm. he was still there at the time before he i think he lives in texas now and moved machine shop out there and that's why will has his own studio but like 
he had done like some really cool stuff and they had done like really cool bands just in that place and the original place like armor for sleep and i think they did my chem or no my chemical romance rented that building that they were in before they got it so it i don't know it was just like it was a cool energy in that studio like a really cool energy of just like bands that have like just really cool records and bands that have are very successful in a sense yeah hell yeah that's that's really cool um when you work with a a producer um like how how do you like what are your opinions on working with the producer uh i personally haven't got that chance but i know like i feel like i'm more hands-on with our writing too so i don't know i've never had to like adjust to someone else's like ideas like how is that for you um, I, I like working with a producer and I don't like it. Um, I like working with that like sixth ear mm-hmm. that can give you more creative ways to do things or in the case of, I can't remember what song it was, but when we were working with Will, we did like a live playthrough of everything before, like kind of just like re-demoed everything so he can listen to it. And I remember he was just like this part of the song, he was like, scrap it, write something new. <laughs> and we're just like, <laughs> I just remember uh, Daniel Martin and I sitting there and just going, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but it was cool. Like I, I like that, but I don't like, the sense that I don't like is feeling like somebody's in there to like pull apart what you've created, but they're there to make it better. So it's like, if I were to do it now, it would be a completely different story. I'd be, I'm way more open to the input like, Oh, Hey, like do this and, or try this. But I guess that's just age. That's made me mature a little bit more, Mm -hmm. not be, no, this stays (laughs) my way. (laughs) <laughs> yeah uh i'm i'm always curious to hear because um like i was watching some like newfound glory thing and their bass players just like i just want to play bass on the albums like i that's all i want to do and so i'm that just sparked my mind like if uh you know like as a bass player i feel a lot of times guitar players write the songs some bass players do but you know just seeing what you thought about that. Like if you just go in, I just want to play the bass or if you go in with like, Hey, I have ideas or I want to do this or that. Um, I mean, I'll throw ideas out here and there when I feel like it's appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I mean, NBR would like, as much as I was in the band, I was still always the new guy in the band. Mm-hmm. I never wanted to like cross anything the mm-hmm. wrong way. Cause I was more involved in other, other things with the band that were, I was better at like okay. writing is not my strong suit. And I get what you're saying. Like with, I think I actually know what you're talking about with Ian. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I just want to play bass. <laughs> yeah. But then that's honestly, like I've had the pleasure of meeting Ian mm-hmm. a few times and that's just the kind of duty is just like, I just want to play bass. I just want to <laughs> hang out and that's it. there's nothing wrong with that that's badass (laughs) Uh, no that's that's definitely how i am now i'm just like 
I just want to play bass or do whatever I do. <laughs> like, um, so what have what have you been doing to keep yourself busy during like uh, this quarantine time? Uh, I now work at Amazon. Okay, I deliver packages for Amazon uh, five to six days a week. It keeps me physically active, which I wasn't for about six months. Um, I tried working at an at-home call center. That was not for me at all. Um, (laughs) And so I'm delivering packages for Amazon. So I'm just staying active. I mean, I mean, it's the best thing you can do at this point. It's like, and it's my little bit of joy of getting out of the house (laughs) because I wasn't, I was just sitting in the house for like six months and, I still, I definitely like socially distance from people and because I firmly believe in that. I mean, the only people I ever see are family and those people are just as good at it. We never have large gatherings. Like it's nothing like nothing against the rules of how I view it, but it's, it's weird times. Yeah, uh, definitely. Like, is there anything that a music lover or like a fan like can do to help support um, like techs or not just the bands? Like, of course, the bands too, but like the people behind the bands and the touring. Like, is there anything we can do to help out? I mean, sadly, in a lot of cases, there isn't. Um, it's not that we are forgotten about but bands have to take care of themselves. And I understand that first I was pretty upset with it. And I mean, just the other day I saw uh, Trivium is doing like a, like a fundraiser for their crew, which I think is cool. Like a lot of people are able to do that and other bands aren't like it. It's really hard, especially in an industry where we depend on touring bands and crew alike and if we're not making that income it's it's rough like um if i remember i i'm not sure music cares might be taking donations for something like that and i mean thankfully for music cares like they helped me out at the beginning of this um they've helped me out multiple times uh, music cares is amazing um also the re- like i'm I've been sober for three and a half years and that's because of music cares. Um, well, somebody affiliated with music cares. So that's, that's even cooler. Like, but um, not to get sidetracked with that, but uh, there's not so much you could really do. I mean, I've kind of tried to draw my focus away from kind of what's going on with how people are helping band, like helping crew members and stuff like that, because it just feels kind of helpless right now. I just, I had to go out and get a job like many other people. Like one of my, I was actually before this was talking to uh, my buddy, Nate, who's also a guitar tech who also works at Amazon. <laughs> um, so we both, it's funny cause we're both guitar techs. Now we both deliver packages for Amazon. Um, I mean, we just had to go out and get jobs and there's unfortunately not too many ways to help techs or the production side of things. And it's sad, 
because there's just not a whole lot you can do. I mean, it's just a really, really weird time for the music industry. And there's a whole lot behind the scenes. It's even, it's a bunch of people going, well, I think we're going to go back on tour at this time next year. I think we're going to go back on tour this time next year. And a lot of just, we don't know. I mean, I've been home since March 16th. Yeah. Um, I actually work at like a, a work at home call center too. And like, I feel it, man, like just being here, like I, I've done like two live streams and that's the only time I've been able to even like play anything. Um, so one reason why this is even like the base to base podcast came about was just to be creative and still do something like music related and hopefully inspire people to to play an instrument or pick up an instrument like during this time. But it, I agree, man, it's wild times. Um, I hope everyone just does what they can do to help, you know, s- prevent any more spread, wear a mask, social distance. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, yeah uh, it, it sucks, man. Uh, I'm hoping I've, I've seen like bands like you're saying that are saying, Oh, we're going to tour like the end of the year, 2021. I hope we can, we can get there. Um, so how can, uh, where can people listen to you or find out more about you in social um, media? I keep my social media pretty private mm-hmm. for the most part. Um, more or less because since I'm not so much in a band anymore, I've kind of shut off my social media. I mm-hmm. not shut it off, but just stayed more closed off. And especially working like some of the bands I've worked for, um, I just, I stay away from their fans. I feel like it's weird. Uh, but as far as my music, you could still find NBR on Spotify and Apple Music. I think pretty much any streaming platform. Um, and I mean, we've started getting a little bit more active on our Instagram and Facebook because we've kind of, um, we actually odd story with the band. Like, I mean, I know Martin and Mike and everybody kind of still talk, but we didn't like even have a group chat going for a while until like a couple months ago. So we've just kind of slowly been more active on social media. Cause we're like, eh, might as well. Like we're not, our band's not dead. We're just not doing anything. Yeah. I, I've seen the, the teasers, and then, like, oh, Martin released all the playthroughs, like the drum tracks. But I saw some teasers on the NBR stuff. What you talking about? I mean, we'll find out. We'll we'll see what happens. I guess, <laughs> hopefully. Um, nope. <laughs> all right. Well, maybe we won't then. But um, I I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Um, just again, so st- uh, congratulations on the three years of sobriety. That's amazing to hear. Also. And um, I hope we can catch up again soon. Yeah, I mean, I just sit around most of the time. So. <laughs> All right, man. I appreciate it, dude. You have a good night. You too. Later, dude. Later.